Amen. Thank you so much, musicians. We appreciate you so very much. We want to turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and pick up on the subject we introduced last week in chapter 8. And we're skipping over a good portion of verses that we'll look at on Wednesday nights. But I just wanted to kind of connect two different paragraphs of Scripture that deal with the subject uh, that uh, we looked at last time on stewardship and giving uh, for individuals and for churches and for the cause of Christ, what we, what we do with our resources as Christians. The topic is why give generously or why we should give generously. In Africa today, Southern Africa, the number one doctrinal problem, the number one spiritual doctrinal problem is not Islam, although that's a great issue and a, a looming concern that will be a, a greater issue as time goes on. It's not Islam. It's not the Jehovah's Witnesses with their uh, re-energized uh, Arian heresy from the early years of the church and the Jehovah's Witnesses are out there denying the deity of Christ and, and all those things and there are little kingdom halls all over southern Africa. But that's not the biggest problem. That's a problem. That's a growing problem. It's a big problem, but that's not the biggest problem. It's not the Mormons, they're coming in there. It's, it's, it's not those things, it's not what you would expect. The number one spiritual problem in Southern Africa today is the prosperity gospel. Nigeria is the largest country in Africa. It's up in middle central Africa. It has about 160 million people, which way outpopulates any other countries around. Uh, and out of Nigeria comes a lot of good things, a lot of oil. It's a, a wealthy country in that sense, but a lot of things. But out of that comes a lot of bad theology through the Nigerian prophets, they're called, who go out as ambassadors for that theology into other countries, and it has spread. It really started in America. Uh, the Nigerian prophets are nothing more than warmed over televangelists from America. And the, the essence of the teaching was... And is, uh, if, if you'll give a, a little bit to uh, especially particular individuals, God will bless you and you will be rich. And God's word promises you that you will be rich. And when they preach that, they have money, kwacha in mind. And it's amazing that the poorest people in the world buy into that. Well, most Americans are, oh, right, yeah. But the poorest people in the world will find some glimmer of hope there and look to that. It's an outrageous false teaching. A great, great heresy. Now, Wednesday night's passage talks about Jesus was rich and he became poor so that you could become rich. And that's in between last week's passage and this morning's passage. And so we're on, in, in risky territory for misunderstanding and misinterpretation. So we want to be very careful with what we look at today uh, because the scripture's not telling us if we check off all the boxes, God's going to make you rich and you'll be able to drive what you want to drive and live where you want to live and travel where you want to travel and do all the things and that you'll have this great big financial cushion for life and, and you'll have your own towers and, and then life will be really good for you. That's not what the scripture's promising. Speaking of great spiritual blessings that come the way of those who take the Lord seriously. 
So that's just the, that's the warning label up front. That's the caution as we wade into this passage of Scripture. Uh, it is not what some people are preaching it to be, but it is uh, tremendously important. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, Now this I say, it's hard to translate it, it really just has the word this, uh, and, and this, and then he's going to describe something. It really, uh, my dad used to holler from downstairs, he, he had this Navy officer thing in his head, and he would, uh, early in the morning, uh, call up the steps, now hear this, now hear this. He kind of covers, now, now hear this, now hear this. Was, he thought it was really cute and clever, and it was very annoying. <laughs> now hear this, bear a hand, whatever that meant. That's, you can't even Google that. I don't know what that was, but all this all Navy stuff. But, but Paul says, now hear this. I have something I want you to know. And I think if Paul was here this morning, this might well be the passage he would choose to preach to an American church in the 21st century. This might be his passage. He might say, I got this old letter sent the Corinthians. Let me read it to you and explain a few things that I think your group needs to hear. Now, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The translators, I don't know why they do it, they, they struggle with this. The guy's a lot smarter than me, but the word that uh, gets translated bountifully uh, there is really uh, a, not an adjective or an adverb, it's, it's a noun. And what Paul says is, the one sowing for blessing will reap blessing. The one sowing for blessing. Eulogia, is, if you look it up in any lexicon, it'll give you several renderings. The first rendering is blessing. So Paul says, uh, those who sow sparingly are not going to have a great harvest. They're going to they're reap what they've sown, and it's going to be small. And those who sow in anticipation of blessing are going to reap a blessing. Now, that's where the prosperity guys take off and go uh, in their erroneous teaching and will not go there. One of the frustrations of watching a third world country like Malawi or Zambia or Zimbabwe, you watch the farmers uh, and a huge portion of the countryside is agrarian and you watch them and when they plant, they think in terms of I've got so many family members, it's going to take so much maize to get through the next year to get that amount. I'm going to have to plant this amount and they'll get that amount and they'll plant exactly that and water it and maintain that to bring forth just what they need to get through that year. And Americans watch that and say, why don't you plant several more rows and have some extra uh, for yourself and to take to market? Why don't you do that? And usually they don't. Every now and then you, you see one guy who gets a whole big field. The, the land's there, but they, they're, they're cutting it close. And so they sow sparingly. And maybe that's what they need to do, and I'm sure there are things that I don't understand about what's going on. But Paul's talking spiritually, and he says those who invest their lives sparingly can expect a sparse 
harvest. When all is said and done, but those who sow bountifully, those who sow, the NIV says, sow generously or sow for blessing will reap greatly, profoundly. It'll be good, he says. He's not talking money, but he's talking about really important things. He says in verse 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Probably a lot of you have heard messages on this and heard that the, uh, the adjective that's there for giver, cheerful, it really is the word from which we get hilarious. God likes people to give out of a heart where they're excited about doing so. So I was reading back through this passage over and over this week. I thought back years ago to Millen, Georgia, and being at Millen Baptist Church. We had two financial secretaries there. It was not because the church was so rich, but we had two financial secretaries. We had the main secretary who handled the finances and took care of all that. And then we had another little lady that came in, and uh, she had one job. So she, it was only a, a small part-time job, but she had one job. She would take every contribution, non-cash, re recordable contribution, and post it on cards. Uh, some of you remember carbon paper. There's a few carbon paper things around, you know, and you write on the top sheet and it, it pushes through on the next sheet that pushes through on the next sheet and you get multiple copies of the same thing by writing at one time. And, and we had these little forms. They probably came from Broadman from Nashville or something. And um, These forms had five parts to them and every week she would write on that first page. For the first three months, she'd write on that first page everybody's gift for that week and it would just collect had them in a nice little box that was tucked away she was the only person in the universe that knew what was on those cards and uh, at the end of three months she would tear that top sheet off and mail it to you they folded up and had little envelopes with windows it was really quite a system and in the mail, you would get a little mail out that would show everything you had done week by week for the last three months. At the end of six months, she'd tear off the next one, and it would show you everything you had done for six months. And then after nine months, you get one that showed everything you'd done week by week for nine months. And the last one was your final end-of-the-year statement for tax purposes, showing everything that you had given supposed to inspire you and encourage you and remind you throughout the year to be faithful. We don't do that here. By the way, nobody knows what you give except one person, and she doesn't even go to church here, and she does not talk. And so nobody knows your business. It's between you and the Lord, but it really is between you and the Lord, and we need to remember that. But Paul says God's not looking for reluctant givers are people that are embarrassed because their little form is not up to speed or they didn't check enough boxes or they feel guilty. God is looking for people to give who can't wait to give that are excited about the process. They understand it and it's the delight of their heart to give to the cause of Christ. And the scripture says that's what God's looking for. Remember little we Bobby last week that stood in the offering plate. He wants you to stand in the offering plate and say, yes, I, I want to do this. This is good. I want to do this and I want to do it generously and, and not under compulsion. 
Not complaining about, boy, you know, I, didn't, I gave all that money and the church did this or that or the mission board wasted this or that. And I said, God says, be free and just give for something that matters. And I'm not trying to drum up money for First Baptist Church. If, if you get inspired today, man, give it to the Gideons or, or to the IMB or something. But Scripture's calling you to be a generous giver. And he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, this doesn't say he's drifting from the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel guys had to, they're, they're kind of backing off here. It's like, well, wait a minute, let's go back a couple of verses and start over. Because he's no longer talking about what you're going to get out of this or how, how wealthy you're going to be because of this. He's saying God is able. God has unlimited resources. The, song, the songs that you've heard and that you have sung this morning have talked about the greatness of God. He's certainly able to make all grace abound toward you and toward all of us so that with all sufficiency in every circumstance, we will have abundance for every good deed. Oh, that's, a, that's quite a qualifier. It's not that God is so great that he's going to make sure that you have an abundance. It's that you'll have an abundance for every good deed. That, that the causes to which you rise up to take the gospel to the nations will not go lacking. God wants to channel his resources through you that you might participate in the process so that all the good deeds of the advancement of the cause of Christ will flow through you in great abundance. That's what Paul's talking about. Not about rich Christians getting richer because of uh, claiming some promise, some misinterpreted promise of Scripture. He says God's able to do that. Now if we took one of those polls this morning, uh, in secret probably everybody would say uh, in response to verse 8, yes, I do believe that. Yes, yes, amen. Amen, preacher. Yes, verse 8 is true. God is able. God can do anything God wants to do. God has everything. God could do that. But in the practicalities of daily life, we struggle to apply that or to respond to that or trust in that. God really is able to supply whatever the church needs, whatever the individual needs, whatever the missionary needs to just get on with the cause. He can do it in great abundance for every good deed. Verse 90 quotes from the Old Testament. That's, you'll see it come up in all capital letters, most of it. He says, as it is written, or as, as it has been written, it should say, it stands written, he scatters abroad. Literally, he just, he scatters or he disperses. He's not talking about spreading people around. He does that a lot of times too, but here he's talking about resources, a God of heaven, disperses his resources he gives to the poor and his righteousness remains literally unto the age or until the end of it all his righteousness endures forever God's in charge of the resources man if only Washington understood that if only Atlanta understood that if only you and I understood that now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. 
Oh, yes, we're going to get rich. No, that's not what he's saying. That's, if you punctuate it right there, wool be unto you. He who supplies seed to the sower. Sowers don't retain the seed, sowers sow. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And Paul, who knew this and understood this and applied this to his own life and then poured out his life encouraging others to do so, understood that everything God entrusts to us is uh, a trust that's to be used for the advancement of things of eternal significance. And so he'd say, don't sit on your seed, sow it, go for it. And that one who supplies the seed will take care of your bag. Your bag's not going to run out. When Andrew was in Egypt years ago as a missionary, uh, we had about nine IMB journeymen, short-term missionaries in the Cairo area. He was the only guy, so he spent a lot of time by himself going out. He didn't meet a wife doing his work there. Uh, but he spent most of his time by himself, and he had one of those bags. It looked like a Michael Guido kind of thing. You know, he had a bag he put over his shoulder. He would go out with cassette tapes that were still being used in Cairo then and tracks and walk all day long, 20 miles, laying that stuff down, every now and then giving it to an individual. But that was a dangerous thing to do. But you just kind of leave it at random places with contact phone numbers. And if you put 300 of those down, on average, you get one phone call by somebody who wanted to know more. And that was the rate of harvest off of that. But he carried that bag around. Well, here Paul's talking about that image of the sower with his bag. And he's saying really to the sower, you're not going to run out. One way or another, God, if you are faithful, God's going to take care of things and you will succeed. You, his harvest is your harvest and your harvest is his harvest. And he's going to cause your harvest of righteousness to abound. That's the spread of the gospel. It's going to flow. It's going to happen. It's going to succeed. It will be an exciting thing to be a part of. You will be enriched in everything. Not financially. If God chooses to do that, and, and perhaps he does sometimes for some reasons, but that's not his purpose. Your, your best riches are in heaven uh, that you have invested in sin ahead. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. You'll have a lot for a reason. Not a lot for yourself, not a lot for no purpose, and not a lot for a big cushion. But you'll have a lot for liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. God will... Fill your bag with seed to sow. God will take care of whatever the, the mission is, the purpose for which you're endeavoring to represent the cause of Christ. So you say, well, why, why do so many churches struggle? Why so many? Yeah. Maybe they don't understand the principle. Maybe they're not operating by faith or trust. Uh, maybe somebody's stingy. I don't know. You have to ask God those questions. But Paul says... The general principle that you can understand is uh, if you trust God with these realities and you're generous toward the cause of Christ, he's going to take care of that and allow you to be generous. And it will go forward. 
Now, I don't understand sometimes a lot of things about that. I can't, I've got a list of questions for Paul about how some of this plays out in the struggles of missions around the world. I've got questions. I understand if you're struggling with some of that. But he's talking about, here's the general principle. In verse 12, he says, For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. It's taking care of people. Uh, when you give to World Vision or some world hunger group or to Russ Falk and go forth and they invest in feeding people or feeding people the gospel, Paul says God supplies, takes care of the needs of the saints. And the byproduct of that is thanksgiving going up to God. And that's a great thing too. He says because the proof given by this ministry because of the proof of that, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying people will listen to what you say you believe and then they'll watch what you do with your time and your resources. And if it matches up, then they will praise God for your confession matching the gospel you profess. And for the liberality or the generousness of your contribution to them and to all. Paul uh, was incredibly generous. Gave everything. Poured out his life, of course, as we read in Acts. But he encourages these Corinthians. And indeed, he encouraged all Christians to be generous in their spirit. He says, while they also, by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. They're going to love you. They're going to feel good about you. It's not going to be, it's not about popularity. It's going to be, they love you, man, because you've, you've poured out your heart through ministry to them. You've given to them. It's a humbling thing, it's a, but it's an awesome thing. It's, it's something that you don't want to live this life out and hang around church and miss. Paul says you, you give to those who have legitimate need and you bless them and they find themselves praying on your behalf and they love you because of the surpassing grace of God that's flowing through you. I was looking at pictures of John Newton's church a couple of days ago. I want to go back there soon. And we sang the song this morning about amazing grace. We marvel at God's grace toward us. But Paul writes here as a missionary who traveled the map and met all kind of people and shared this church's resources with this church or this group. And he saw the process and he says, I want you to understand when, when you allow God to flow through you, uh, the people that are the recipients of that grace are gonna, they're going to love God, but they're going to love you too because you were part of the process. It's a neat thing. It's really great. Don't miss it. And then he finishes the paragraph with these words. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Most translators render it indescribable. That's the best word to put there. You can't put a handle on that. The words really, grace be to God for his amazing grace, for this profound gift 
that he has uh, come into our world, that the one who was rich did become poor and, and lived and died for us and rose again, that we might be rich indeed also. So Paul says, thanks be to God. Praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We might stop and sing the doxology. You had a song leader that could do it. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's so good there are not adequate adjectives to describe it. It's just awesome. What God has in mind for his people. As we wrap this up in application this morning, I want us to think of just three thoughts to take home with us from these ten verses Paul's given us. When we are generous stewards... A steward is someone who's not an owner, he's a manager, and what's under his care he benefits from, but it's flowing through him and he's managing it for someone higher. You and I as Christians are stewards of the resources of the kingdom. When we are generous stewards, we are spiritually enriched. God may choose to put money in your pocket and allow your empire to grow. If he does, be careful. But the primary promise of all of this and the other passages about this subject is that you will be spiritually enriched. As you share with a generous heart, you will find yourself growing spiritually because you'll be set free of the downward pull of the things of this world and you'll be heavenly focused and you will be spiritually enriched. And that's one of Paul's great promises again here in this paragraph. The second thing uh, of great importance to us is that God will be glorified. When you give and the cause of Christ goes forward and the, the blessing process is in motion, God is glorified. Don't we want that? God will be glorified unless, it's a big unless, unless we steal the glory and we talk too much about our role or what we did or how we did it and and uh, Jesus said of those kind of people, they get their reward in full here and now and in the present. But when we, uh, with great freedom and generosity, give for the cause, God is glorified by the fruits of what occurs there. And perhaps by sometimes other people knowing, but always us knowing that God used us to accomplish something that he wanted to do. And God is glorified. He's lifted high. So we're spiritually enriched and God is glorified. And, and one more thing, pretty obvious, the gospel is spread. Gospel spread. You and I, and I've said in recent weeks, I believe uh, that if my generation doesn't finish the Great Commission, the next one will. And I've also said that I believe this generation operating just out of America alone, never mind our spiritual allies in uh, Korea and Brazil and places of, that send out missionaries. What's left over in the old British world that sends out missionaries. But just out of America alone, there's the potential for this generation to finish the Great Commission. I really believe that. I really do. The technology that we have and all these, these pads we doodle on and play games on and send all these messages around on, uh, that has the capability be, to be used profoundly evangelistically in, in the world of missions. 
And it is. And it can, uh, it can be a part of what God does in the last days. Now, here's the sad part, perhaps the sad part. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to, if it's true, it doesn't have to remain that way. I believe that the seed to finish the Great Commission is in the American church barn already. You imagine going, uh, Julian used to sell seed and was involved in that process, but you've all seen barns and farmers and the farmer, uh, Wendy's folks lived up in central Michigan and uh, the big farms out there where you can't see from one end to the other and long straight fields with huge tractors and all that process. And you see the, the seed corn or whatever they're going to plant stacked up in those bags and, and imagine those farmers and the, the, the sowing season comes along and it sits there and they say, I think I'll watch another ball game. I'm not going to crank the tractor up today. We're not going to sow today. We'll just let it sit in the barn. Those guys wouldn't last very long in that business, would they? It's hard enough if you're working hard at it. I believe that the seed of the gospel for the finishing of the Great Commission is in the barn already possessed by American Christians. If they were generous, they could, they could be set free and finish the Great Commission. Christ would return in his glory and we could wrap it all up. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't that be incredible to be a part of that? It's a sad thing to see uh, people in line to be missionaries with the International Mission Board turned down for lack of resource when the seed is in the barn. You can go to the third world countries and meet gospel link pastors and realize that they're the tip of the iceberg and there are many others out there that with a little bit of hope and encouragement, they could be set free to finish the job. The seed is in the barn in America today. And the assets of Christians. Paul says, oh, just get free, freed up to do it, to finish it, to invest. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And those who sow for blessing will reap blessing. Not a bunch of stuff for themselves, but they will reap, reap the blessing of being a part of a great international harvest that glorifies God in the last days and sees the people of Papua New Guinea receive the gospel in their own tongue. What an incredible thing to be a part of. What a remarkable invitation the scripture gives us, not only to give our lives to Christ and go to heaven, but in the present to be involved in the process of taking that message to the nations. It's for you, it's for you and for us and for our church and for our denomination and, and we can do it and we can do it with growing generosity and with growing excitement and with an, an increased prayer life and we can see an amazing harvest in our time as a result of the efforts that God flows through us. Why not do that? Why not do that? Join me in prayer. Father, we are grateful this morning for the gospel, for the amazing grace by which we are saved. We marvel that you have redeemed us when we were uh, not that desirable. We are amazed of what Jesus did when he took on poverty, as Paul said in the other passage. Uh, took on poverty that he might enrich us spiritually. Lord, may your amazing grace 
not only come to us, may it indeed, as Paul says here, may it flow through us, that indescribable gift. May it be that the people of Southern Africa and Southeast Asia and Central China and Stone Cold Europe, may the people of those places find Jesus because American Christians were increasingly generous. May it be so, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.